Hey, welcome back to the Sit Rep Podcast. This is episode number four. Here with your hosts, G and Chris from the Great White North. Is it snowing up there yet, Chris? No, but it's getting colder. <laughs> is it really already? Yeah. Well, our smoke is gone, but uh, we've got some clear skies, but it's pretty cold. <laughs> I mean, we had 92 degrees here in the uh, outside of Chicago, and oh. so we're still hanging on a little bit. And yeah. before we get started in this episode, we wanted to let you know that this episode is actually sponsored by Special Artisan Service Miniatures. If you want to check out some really amazing modern miniatures, why not check them out? You can find them at www.kingshobbiesandgames.com. So, it's been a while since we've done an episode. Yeah, we've both been really busy. <laughs> yeah, I was, let's say, uh, what have you been up to since our last chat? Uh, I have been painting a lot of modern miniatures and cleaning a lot of modern miniatures. Uh, I received a whole bunch of miniatures from uh, Elheim for 20 mil for modern Canadians, and I've uh, picked up uh, some 28 mil Canadians from Full Battle Rattle, which is a Canadian company. Oh, is it really? And and I also picked up a, uh, some of um, Special Artists and Service Miniatures' uh, new Ukrainian line. So I've been working on those as well. So I've noticed that seems to be the hot button right now is the Ukrainian lines. I noticed not only does uh, Special Artisan have them, but I think Spectre has come out with their own as well. Do you know any other manufacturers that are going into that area of the world? In 28 mil, I've been keeping an eye out, but uh, nothing as of yet. I th well, you know, you could probably use some miniatures from um, Chechen lines. There's a couple companies that are making uh, miniatures for Chechnya, and they might work for uh, Ukraine as well. Hmm. Um, but uh, anything specific, I've only seen the two companies doing miniatures for them so far. So I have to ask, since you've been looking into a couple different scales what is your favorite scale is it the 20 or is it 28 i haven't played any modern or any real serious modern games in 28 yet but i love the 20 20 mil um just because of uh the scale of you know moving and movement on the board um it just seems a little bit more epic but i haven't tried 28 mil skirmish yet so um, hopefully soon. I'm looking for a rule set that I want to try out. I've only tried uh, a couple so far, and uh, I haven't found one that just clicks yet. So I'm going to be trying probably Skirmish Sangin next. That's, so. a, that's a good rule set. It's, um, it's pretty in-depth. There's a little bit of math involved, more than so than some of the other rule sets that are out there. Uh, it almost has an RPG feel to it. You really get oh, down to the nitty-gritty of each individual soldier, or trooper, or marine, or you know what have you. So it really gets you into the feel of you own this platoon or squad. So it it really gets down into you know boots on the ground. Oh, that sounds interesting. Actually, I'm gonna have to uh, get it soon here. Try it out. So it's it's really what kind of got me into modern miniatures was um, Skirmish Engine. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I came across them a few years back, um, and then they had their uh, next Kickstarter, which was basically based off of Black Hawk Down, you know, Mogadishu 93. Right. Um, so I 
backed that Kickstarter, and I've talked to Colin and um, that those guys from Radio Dish Dash. I think it's Radio Dish Dash. So they keep changing yeah. their name a little bit, um, you know. And of course, I got the Zombie uh, Edition that they came out with a zombie set of rules for it as well. I haven't played that yet. It, it's a it's a very nifty little thing. I, you know, there's other people in the house that would love to play that. I'm, you know, I have not given it a chance, but. The actual rule set for Skirmish is really well done. And like I said, it gets more deeper into the weeds of mm-hmm. your squad and your platoon size. And you really, you know, you create an individual characters and um, it really does a good job of getting you into there. Well, that sounds that sounds more like it to me. That's uh, I've been looking for something like that. You know, like Black, Black Ops from Osprey uh-huh. is a good evening beer and pretzels type modern game but i wanted something more in depth and so i i will definitely have to get that is that uh zombie one is that a standalone or is that do you have to have the main rule book no i believe if i'm not mistaken it's been a while since i've looked through it but if i'm not mistaken it um is standalone it definitely okay. is so yeah it's it's standalone Oh, that's great. But, I mean, if you have the background into Skirmish, then, you know, obviously it'll make it that much more easier to play. Um, that might be something, you know, for you and your son to get into. So Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. You like zombies. Yeah, well, <laughs> who doesn't like zombies, right? Yeah. So, I haven't played the Black Ops from Osprey. You haven't tried it yet? No, I have not. It, it is, it's, uh, it's entertaining and it's quite fun. I've played it a couple times, um, but it's not as in-depth as I would like it. So, which leads me to the question, do you like something more in-depth and more towards the realistic side, or are you looking for something that you can pick up, put on the table, and play fast? Or does it just depend on your mood? I think it's dependent on the mood and how much time I have. Um, but I would I would like to a little bit more in-depth, definitely more in-depth. Um, because I started out with modern gaming with a role-playing game called Twilight 2000. Okay. Back in the late 80s. And then I got into modern micro armor. And and it went from there and and uh and then 20 mil and now 28 mil. So I I think I want something a little bit more in depth. Um and a little bit more challenging too. So well, this sounds like it sounds like a good uh bet that this rule set will probably hit hit all the buttons for me i hope uh most definitely and you know it wouldn't hurt if we can reach out to the guys at radio dish dash and see if we can get them on the program in a future episode it, that would be a great idea i I'd think it would be nice to um kind of you know feature a rule set or a game each episode for part of it you know and get these uh creators on and give them some airtime and let them talk about their games that's that's a great idea i like that idea It'd be nice to have a good chat about their games and their rules and where they are coming at when they were designing their rules and stuff like that. Yes, most definitely. So other than those, is there anything else that you've been up to lately? Um, I've been helping my kid um, make some Star Wars scenery, but at the same time I'm also making some modern scenery as well. So I'm printing off a lot of doors and windows for modern for some buildings. Um, but I'm also printing off a whole bunch of Star Wars sci-fi kind of like doors for him as well at the same time. 
So, so say printing, you're, you're using your 3D printer to make Yes, I'm using, my, yeah, I'm using one of my 3D printers and printing quite a few accessories for buildings. And then I'll just take foam core and make ruined buildings and, and balsa wood and all these windows and doors and other accessories and add them to the buildings. Sweet. So how many printers do you have now? Uh, three, but one is down. Uh, you know, story of 3D printing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm looking at buying another one. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. Not, was it you that got me into 3D printing, or was it I that got you? You remember when we were going back? And I forth? think it. I think it was me, and it was my printer bot play that showed up first, and then you got your mono price. Yes. Yes. You're yeah. Right. So it, it, I can blame you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you awesome. can blame. So I, I'll be first to admit I haven't printed anything in quite some time, unfortunately. I, I've got uh, things going. At least one of them is going quite constantly. So what it's is usually? Your, I'm sorry. What, what's your preferred printer these days? Uh, my Mono Price Select Plus. That's my that's my go to machine. That's that's my workhorse. Um, I love that machine. It it just goes and goes and goes you know and i just yesterday i just changed out the a couple parts and it's working even better now so so using aftermarket parts um yeah with most of the stuff yeah yeah except for the build plate and stuff like that like the i'll, I'll get their their print mats and stuff and attach it on there but uh Everything else, I buy aftermarket parts. Nice. So we'll make sure we put a link up so people can check out that printer. Um, yeah. Both of mine, I have the Monoprice Mini and then the, I think I have this, I don't remember what the next one is. but um, And then I'll tell you what, there is a resin printer out there that caught my eye over the weekend that I'm really tempted to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. It's only $500. Is it the Anacubic? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've been looking at it as well. It seems yeah. to do pretty good. I mean, the video reviews I saw, they it's you know people seemed pretty happy with it. Oh yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, it it's looks amazing. Like a good machine. Looks like a good machine for what you're paying. Yes. Yeah. And for what you know, we're looking for to you know do some terrain and scatter terrain and things like that. I'm telling you, 3D printing has definitely heightened my hobby. Oh yeah. Same with mine. I, I, um, I'll be printing um, a couple of vehicles for Modern uh, later this week. I need uh, a couple um, soft skin vehicles. Oh, so nice. I'll be printing off some stuff next, later on this week. So give people a rough idea. Uh, when you say you're going to print the vehicle, what, what are you looking to print as an example? Um, actually, it will be a... Um, it's like an Eastern European looking police car. Okay. So it's like like a Lada or like one of the old Russian 1970s, 80s cars that are still on the road in Eastern Europe. And uh, so I'm going to be printing off a couple of those. And one of them I'm going to be probably making it look like it's burnt out and blown up. And then the other one a little dirty and stuff like that. But I'm going to be using them. Uh, crashed into the side of a building awesome. or parked along the side of the road. It's just for more cover, you know? Sure. So when you're going down the street, you you can hide behind it. So Awesome. 
So, did you ever uh, print up an MRAP? I know we talked about it some time ago. I've, I've done two. So, just, done. and it was at 20 or 28 mil? Uh, it was a 20 mil. And how long, roughly, so people have an idea, how long would it take you to print one of those in MRAP? I think a 20 mil MRAP on a very slow speed because I wanted the, the detail to be pretty decent. Um, I think it took four hours. Oh, that's not bad, actually. When you yeah, it's, it's actually pretty good. Um, it was scaled at 15 millimeter, so 1 100th scale, and I just scaled it up. See, that's another nice thing about 3D printing is that you can take a really well-designed item you know, that's been really done to really good detail and scale it. Some of them, you know, if you pull something off Thingiverse, if you try and scale it, some of the detail gets lost or gets soft. But if you have a, a piece that was very well designed, it scales beautifully, and that's oh, a nice yeah. thing. So, because I was printing up some houses for six mil, mm-hmm. and I then took it to fifteen mil, and then took it to twenty eight mil, and I didn't really lose too much detail. You know, obviously when you're getting those really small six mil, there's, you know, it kind of blends in a little bit. But yeah. it was just a test piece. Um, because you know, outside of the modern, I'm doing some stuff with uh, six mil. Yeah, it's six mil. I believe it's six mil. Six or ten mil. Um, Napoleonics. So. Oh, that. Oh, that's the ten mil stuff you got. Yes. Oh, ten mil. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. It um, looks so good. I'm telling you, when I was at, because you know, for those of you who don't know, um, Chris has his own site called Walkabout Games, and I um, write and do video. Programming and we do a lot of convention coverage for bsavor.com, which is now becoming on the table.com. Uh, so we were at Adepticon this year, and this guy had these Napoleonics. There's two things that I truly love that'll get me to buy at any time is mini scale, so your six to ten mil, and Napoleonics or yeah. American Civil War. If you have any of those three items, I'm gonna buy it, and boy, yeah. did I buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually talked to that uh, guy on uh, Tabletop Commanders on a on a uh, on a chat one night, and we were talking about uh, his line of miniatures and what he's bringing out and all his books and and those miniatures look beautiful. Yeah, they really you know? do. So yeah. yeah, that's so that leads me to question: You think there'd ever be a ten mil modern? I, I have actually. Sitting on my workbench behind me somewhere, I have three mil um, modern, you know, vehicles and they're you know the Pico. Yes, the Pico stuff. So I my ultimate goal when I bought it was to take Team Yankee and do it at three mil because you would get more realistic ranges. Um, You know, we have a friend, uh, an acquaintance that you and I probably both know from Peace of War, Jim. Yeah. historical editor and you know we've had major in-depth discussions about true ranges you know because him and i were at the team yankee boot camp uh was it two years now and you know while it's a fun game he's like well this isn't a realistic range well no an m1 is not going to be sitting 200 yards from something blowing it away so you know you're going to be half mile away if not more so putting at three mil you know gives it a little bit more of a realistic feel to it and then you can feel several companies of armor and you know they're assorted uh backup battalions and yeah so it gives you a bit a little bit more of a realistic feel that's why when um i used to play micro armor 
and modern. Yeah. And we would have battalions of tanks, you know, at one-to-one scale, battalions of tanks just going across a, a five-by-nine table. And it was, it just looked epic. And the ranges felt realistic. That's awesome. Uh, that's yeah. something for another time. I mean, that fits into yeah. our podcast. You know, it's it's modern. Yeah. It, nothing yeah. says it has to be 28 or 20 mil. We could definitely Ooh. do something at, you know, the smaller scales and do a, a project blog and put yeah. it on the Facebook page. Um, well, of great. course, here we go. We're already getting off track on the our oh. running order. Chris and I spent time today going, hey, we're, we're going to play this yeah, we're pulling a Warren. <laughs> uh, so for those who don't know, Warren is like the uh, leader of Beast of War. And when he does the weekend show, he's famous for going off topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, did you have anything else to catch you up to today? today? I think that was it for that, that part of the, the running order. Okay. So just a quick recap for me. Um, since the last episode, I had the crew from Dust USA uh, visiting here in our home studio. Uh, really, just kind of hanging out. We've kind of become real good friends with them since uh, we've you know see them at every, pretty much every convention we cover. And if you've never played Dust 1947, it's a really fun game. It really is. Um, so I, I know that there's a history on you know earlier versions and earlier companies, but the crew that we uh, are friends with is called Dust USA. They're the U.S. distributor for Dust 1947, and they have been working really hard to bring back the game and give it a positive image, and I think they've done a really good job. But if you have not played it, it's a great game. For our friends who are true historical nuts and rivet counters, you're probably not going to like this game, (laughs) to be honest with you. But if you're looking for a popcorn game, wouldn't you say? Where you can, um, you know what though, I wouldn't even call it a popcorn game because you can really get in depth with it. It has enough historical to give you that feel. And then it's got enough of that weird to satisfy that genre, you know, those fans as well. And the minis come assembled, they're pre-primed, or you can even get them in premium, which is fully painted. And I'll tell you what, some of the premium ones um, are beautiful. Uh I did a video review of the Desert Scorpions, which is the you know Desert Rats from back in the day, um, of their Dodge Gun Bunny. Oh no! guys we're back we had a little bit of a technical glitch um sometimes battlefield comms are not as reliable as you'd like them to be so we are back um and what i was saying was about dust it's a really good game if you have not looked into it and if you're if you're even minutely interested in world war ii and weird definitely want to give it a check um so i had them in and then the following week right after that we had the guys in from beast of war for two weeks so we headed off to gen con we did our convention coverage and then they came back did the touristy thing here in chicago and of course we filmed uh some weekenders and some other things which was a lot of fun 
And then they were by that time they've had about all the American they could handle, and we're ready <laughs> to go back to the good old UK. So we happily got them on their airplanes and got them back to the land of tea and uh, biscuits. So, um, and then after that, I took a little bit of a holiday, and I, my other side job of many is I teach scuba diving. So I took a group down to the Florida Keys, and we got them certified. And we dove with all kinds of sharks. It was a lot of fun. So that's what we're doing. And But I'm happy to be back in the studio with Chris and getting on with the podcast. We've got a lot of plans and things coming. So we're, we really want to get you guys involved as well. A so, lot of cool things. Yeah, a lot of cool things. So one of the topics that we came up with was – it was kind of something that I was poking my head around because it actually came out of a conversation with the Dust USA guys. Um, Greg and Alicia, the, they're a husband and wife team. And I was talking to him. I said, Greg, I love World War II. Don't get me wrong. But how about Vietnam? Dust in Vietnam. Yeah. Let's start there. Come on, Hueys, Cobras. Yeah. What is there not to like? Um, <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, you know, the, the typical yeah. non-committal answer. So, because he really doesn't have control over it. It all comes out of Hong Kong. So, and, and Paulo. Yeah. So, Paulo, yeah. yeah. So what led me to is what constitutes a modern war game? Is it is it the year? Is it an era? Is it uh, equipment? You know. So my example would it be like from 1965, 63, if you want to go back to the French uh, invasion of French Indochina, you know Vietnam, um, all the way up into the U.S. commitment. So that would be 63, 65. Um, so, or do you say, well, just Vietnam War, or is it Grenada? Is it, you know, um, our involvement in Central America during the 80s? Now, I don't know what you all think or heard in school. I can yeah. tell you from firsthand experience, we were in Central America in the 1980s, and we yeah. weren't there truly as an advisory. We had people in the jungle with the locals fighting the really bad drug guys and communists. That's- so, yeah. um, you know, it's it's just the way it is. So, well, I know with some people, they think modern goes from 1950. Or when, when did Korean War start? 1950, 50, 1951? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people think that is the most, the first modern war with, you know, you get. But I can't see it. I think Vietnam truly, I'd say. You know, when the Americans, the French had laughed because the French were still using tons of World War II equipment. Yeah. You know, I I, th- I think the first modern conflict where you see lots of jets, modern tanks, modern APCs, helicopters, miniguns, M16s, AKs. I think it's Vietnam. I think that's – I think to, in my opinion, that's where it starts. I, I would tend to agree with you because honestly another way I look at modern is what are we still using today that was mm-hmm. used during a time period. And truth be told, there's stuff from Vietnam that we still use today. Yeah. You know, I mean yes, maybe in you know more modernized versions, you know, the M16 to the yeah. M4s, um, you know, C- C-130s. They've yeah. been around it's, since the 50s, to be honest with you. You know, late, late 50s is when they came in play. Uh, yeah. The Marines are still using a version of the Huey. So, yeah. you know, and Cobras. You know, the Army has got, just got rid of their last of their Kiowas, their OH-58s, um, yeah. for scouts. So they, they've gone away from that, you know, and now it's totally just 
Apaches, which is a shame. I knew a lot of Cav Scouts and you know Air Scouts back in the day, and they were pretty cool guys. I mean, anybody who can run around in a little civilian version would be a Jet Ranger. Very yeah. thinly armored, not it, pretty much a lawnmower engine on a helicopter, and uh, fly around and you know get shot at so the the big gun bunnies can come along and shoot them. So yeah, we used the Kiowa uh, here in Canada up until a few years ago. You know, we just decommissioned ours not that long ago. Yeah, it's. I think the eighty second, my home division, just uh, deactivated theirs last year. I think it's been mm-hmm. within last year, year and a half. So. Uh, just the moving of the era, and of course we have the A10 Warthog. So yes, uh, everybody's favorite. So yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, Vietnam would probably be what I would constitute as the beginning of the modern era for war gaming. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got in there. If you want to go outside of the more common ones, you have Rhodesia. You know, yes. Um, I grew up. I grew up in a military household, and for whatever reason, do you remember the uh, Soldier of Fortune magazine? Did you ever yeah, see that? My dad had a subscription to that. Why? Yeah. I don't know. He was a, he was a Huey helicopter pilot in the army, and but I always loved reading those things. You know, and a lot of it was uh, the Congo and Rhodesia uh, yeah. back in the day. So that's always been one of my interests. Africa has always been a theater of interest to mine. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. For you listening out there, I don't know if you guys have your own ideas of what constitutes modern uh, wargaming. You know, is it something since 2000, since the first Desert Storm? The first the first Gulf War, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, to me, it, like I said, Vietnam, you know, I was, I was born at the end of Vietnam. My dad went into the Army in 75 and flew Hueys and then Blackhawks and Chinooks and all that. So I kind of grew up in the end of that in the Army. And then when I was in the Army, you know, we had – I just came to the division just after Grenada. And, mm-hmm. with, you know, we had Panama. So, you know, we had to go yeah. down and spank Noriega and tell him he was being a very bad boy. So, yeah, um, yeah. so it's an interesting topic. And I'd, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, post your comments below or go to our Facebook page and, uh, you know, start some chatter there. Um, do you want to have anything else you want to add to, you know, what constitutes, um, you know, like, like I was saying about the, uh, just to bring up something that, um, with modern, I, I've had people say that, uh, to me lately that, uh, they only, they think that modern wargaming is anything past like, 2000 really really that's that's modern to but to me that you know it's a lot of the technology that we're using now is the same technology just updated yeah yeah and i think i I really do think that vietnam yeah it's most definitely vietnam for me anyways yeah yeah i i again i agree with you totally on that i mean for somebody to come and say well 2000 is you know oh boy that if you think about it, 2000, the people that are coming up now, they're just turning 18. So yeah. they're just now eligible for military service. So they're kind of just getting their view of the world. So to think of everything that's happened prior to 2000 to 1965, 63, <laughs> there's a lot you're missing. You're, yeah. you're missing the Israeli Arab War. 
You're oh. seeing, you know, all the other conflicts in Africa, Central America, South America. Angola. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, the Eastern Bloc after the wall had fallen and, you know, the Bosnia. So, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> Former Yugoslavia. I know about that. Um, Were you there? Did you yeah. participate in that little adventure? Did yeah, you? yeah, 1992. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarajevo, 92. So, um, with the Royal Canadian Regiment. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So. Um, but, you know, it's it, to think it, think about it, you know, it's like you think about it now, it's like, wow, that's over 20 something years ago. <laughs> I know. Time flies. I mean, you're thinking. Yeah. Because when I, when I went in, that's been over 30 plus years now. So. Yeah. Uh, getting old sucks. Uh, let's just, yeah. let's, you know, I'm telling you what, do you, I don't know if you remember when you were 17, 18, you're like, I cannot wait. You know, I'm going to do this. And when I get older, I'm going to do this. And now you're looking back and go, where'd the time go? Yeah. So, I mean, do you ever miss it? Do you ever miss the military? There's some things I do miss. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely things I miss, but there's, there's things I don't miss either. No, there's sure. There's a lot to the military yeah. that isn't fun, but I miss flying. Oh boy. Yeah. I miss flying. Yeah. Uh, I miss flying and I miss parachuting. Yeah. You know, where else do you get paid to do those kind of things? That's true. Outside of like the movie business or something like that, but yeah. Uh, Stuntman or something. Yeah. yeah. So you had a topic you wanted to talk about and that was vehicles in skirmish games. Yeah. I'd been thinking about because I've been working on some vehicles, like some uh, soft skin vehicles, and I've got one armored car, uh, well, APC, a, a BTR 60 or 70. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, in skirmish games, like how many people actually use a lot of vehicles? What's too many vehicles in some people's opinion? Or, you know, do you use vehicles at all other than for cover or static pieces of terrain? Um, I'm kind of curious as to what rule sets, you know, maybe utilize vehicles, um, in the game and it seems realistic. I, I, I have a hard time thinking because I've played black, black ops and the vehicle rules in that are fairly, let's like really simple. Um, but I would like to know if uh, some of the other rule sets uh, utilize vehicles a lot more or do they just they're just a secondary thing. You know, like I want to know what people's opinions of vehicles in skirmish games Mm -hmm. and what kind of rule sets utilize them in a realistic manner. Because I I see all these Humvees coming out like I know – Special Artisans Miniatures is coming out with Humvees. Mm-hmm. I know Spectre has come out with uh, Humvees. Um, there's Empress that has Humvees. There's all kinds of companies that, that have Humvees and other vehicles. And I want to kind of know which rule sets, you know, maybe utilize them in a, in a way that's realistic. Um, and then also, you know, how many vehicles is used in a, in a decent sized game? You know, that's that's what I'm I'm wondering about vehicles and skirmish games, because I know in in a like a platoon level game, well, I, in 20 mil, I usually have maybe five vehicles, maybe six aside. Uh huh. You know, but uh, in a skirmish game, how many vehicles is too many, or 
or the rule sets in depth enough for me to be interested in using like a Humvee or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say because I haven't really got a chance to play a lot with vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can think off the top of my head, like for Spectre Ops, um, when you play those, you know, they've got, they got the new up-armored Humvees now and in the Humvees, and I know they have technicals, and I know Skirmish Engine does some uh, vehicles as well, but just thinking off my top of my head as far as, like, Spectre Ops, when you're playing that game, they do have vehicles in it, but to me it's almost like, okay, we're going to use this vehicle to roadblock, you know, they're they're providing the blocking and cover fire, and then your your troops, whether it's contractors, Delta, whomever, they're going yeah. in and, you know, pulling the bad guy from the vehicle or whatever. I, I kind of feel the same way when it comes to, believe it or not, helicopters. You know, yeah. bringing in Little Birds, OH-6s, and yeah. obviously Blackhawks. Um, so you can do a full simulation of uh, Mogadishu. I know Skirmish Sanjin, uh, their Mogadishu rules do cover helicopters somewhat, but a lot of times it's, you know, you're usually off-table assets. And I want them in the game, you know. I want them part of the game. Obviously, you know, it it can become this weapons platform that, depending on the uh, the opponent, your opponent, how they set up their guys, they may not even be able to touch the helicopter. But the nice thing about helicopters, well, it's not the nice thing, but you know, their weakness is that they can tend to be slow. They loiter over an area for a long period of time. They can be an easy target to hit, i.e., Mogadishu. Yeah, RPG. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, take an RPG to the tail rotor and, you know, your world's all spinning out of control. So I agree with you. I would like to get a really in-depth discussion about rule sets and vehicles. And I'd like to hear other people's opinions, and I know as you would, uh, yeah. as far as what they feel is how they can bring that vehicles in. Because while having your spec ops teams, you know, whether it's SAS, whomever, you know, doing those maneuver and fire and you know overwatch and everything like that it's nice to be able to expand out a little bit because you've been there we've done it you Mm -hmm. don't it's not all just infantry slogging it through the streets you had your you know what depending on your era apcs Mm -hmm. you know apvs mraps whatever the you know you had some vehicle there as support so Mm -hmm. you know um even when Delta goes in, they have vehicles when they're pulling out, you know, to extract them uh, after the mission. It seals the same thing. So to have that important part of the battlefield in the game, not just an off-table asset, I think adds that next level to the game. Yeah. I I think that I want to find a rule set that kind of balances the realism and gets – you know, like uh, if you want to run Navy SEALs and you have, they have to get out and get to a certain position. You want that, you want those boats with those mini guns and you want that oh, yeah. coming up, you know, and you want it shooting and moving and getting these guys off the shore or out of the water. So you, you want that. But uh, I'd really like, I'd be really interested in finding out from other people, you know, what their opinions on vehicles yes and that's just not not just road vehicles like helicopters boats everything 
Yeah. At, at what point do the vehicles or the aircraft become too big to be on a, a table in a skirmish game? Exactly. I mean, obviously, you're not going to have a C-130 Spectre gunship no. on a table. It just – maybe if it Let's crashed, on the ground. I don't know. <laughs> that is definitely an off-table asset. You know, B-1s, yes. B-2s, even a B-52. Good God. So, um, yeah, that's a great topic. And I, definitely we want to hear from you guys. So post comments. Uh, you can do it on our Facebook page or go over to Chris's uh, walkabout. And you you want conversation there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, po- I'll put a post up when I when I uh, share the, uh, the podcast when it comes out. So anything else on vehicles? I... I think that's it. Yeah, I think we did a good job there. So, which leads us in, kind you know, cool. it kind of ties in, doesn't kinda it? Kind of ties in. There it is. Uh, we're going to do some reviews now. Obviously, since this is a podcast, we're just doing a, a verbal review. But if you want some video or pictures, please let us know that too. Um, so, for my review for this episode, I got a chance to get my hands on the Special Artisan Service Miniatures, the SOCR boat, the Riverine. Uh, it's essentially the boat you saw in. Act of Valor, and um, where they're going, you know, they're running from the drug dealers and the terrorists. You know, they rescued the DE agent, and they're getting their butt shot off in the vehicles. And all of a sudden, you see these two boats come screaming down the river and just unload with their mini guns. And all you hear is, um, <laughs> it, it, I tell you, I was in the theater and we saw that. And my, I, I was never a big Navy person, to be honest with you. You know. Yeah. Part of it is I can't stand the look of the uniform. I, you know, it's it's a silly thing. But my, I think my parents would have disowned me if I joined the Navy, um, which is funny because I'm trying to get my daughter to join the Navy now. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, that that scene just gets your blood boiling. You're like, yeah, you know. And of course, you know, it's um, a theater full of Americans. They're all like America, you know, <laughs> big guns, big noise. Um, so. I got a chance to get my hands on that. I'm um, still in the process of getting it put together, but I can tell you the boat itself is a solid piece of resin. Uh, it's very clean. I didn't really see any bubbles or uh, too much flash or overage on it. Uh, the lines are clean. Um, the cockpit itself, it, you know, it's it's a little two-piece uh, cockpit. I had another friend look at it, and he's like, I wish it was a little bit more detailed, the, the console. Um, but you know, you can paint it up and stuff like that. But when you see, get all the gun mounts on, everything else is in metal, uh, versus the, the hull, which is in resin. So, uh, as soon as I get it put together and we get it primed up, I'll, I'll post pictures on the Facebook page, but, uh, the, it looks really good. Uh, I can't wait to get it together and see if we can get it into some kind of game. And then the second thing I got was again from, Special Artisan Miniatures, and it was the Polish Grom, or Grom, depending on how you like to pronounce it. That's their, what would you say, they're, like their special ops, anti-terrorist. Special, yeah. Um, they're really clean looking. Uh, they're, they're really nice. For me, they seem very familiar. I've never worked around the Polish military, but the equipment looks very westernized is probably the best way to say it. Um, so... Tim did a really good job of sculpting them. I think he sculpted them. Did he sculpt them? No, I think somebody else did. did somebody it. else sculpt them? He's, he's got a few digital sculptors okay. and old-fashioned sculptors that sculpt in green stuff as well. Okay. Um, and uh, they work with him. So next time Tim's on the show, he, he joins us. 
typically. So, so we'll talk to him more about how he gets, you know, ideas to produce these miniatures. But they looked really good. Uh, there's different weapons configurations, just very modern, very clean looking. Um, they'll clean up nice. I can't wait to get them painted up, which then leads me to my bane of my existence. And outside of Napoleonics, when you're painting a million different colors, is <laughs> camo, you know, to to get camo looking right at that scale. You know, yeah. it, you just can't splotch on color. Um, you have to get it to the right colors and the right, you know, patterns. Otherwise, it just looks like a mess. But uh, I, I can't wait. I, I'm I so right now I pretty positive outlook on these. You know, t- to be uh, totally transparent, he is sponsoring this episode, uh, Special Artisans Service Miniatures, and he did send them to me for review. Um, so you know, just to be transparent. But in my opinion, it is my opinion, and I do think they they look really nice. Need a little bit of cleanup on the minis, but he said that he sent them right away, right off out of the mold. So he wanted to get them in my grubby little hands. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting them uh, put together and painted. So that's what I have for review. So definitely, if you're looking for any of those items, uh, I would definitely check them out. What do you have, Chris? Oh, I've got a few things, but we're gonna. I'm gonna start off with the. Uh, the miniatures I got from Special Hours and Service Miniatures. And just for clarification, I paid for mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got two of their new Ukrainian line. I got soldiers from the DNR uh, and uh, some Ukrainians that you can use for probably a volunteer battalion or for Ukrainian army. Um, And I'm cleaned them all up got them all primed i have uh been doing multi-cam on the ukrainians um on their and then coyote for their plate carriers and or od green on their plate carriers and um they're they're really nice metal miniatures they're very clean i had very little flashing to clean off um and the barrels on the AKs and stuff were really, I think they're a decent size. And I, the reason I'm bringing this up, because going into another review on some other miniatures, um, I think with manufacturers, it's a balancing act of realism towards game and also gaming and durability. Yeah. And um, I think the, just looking at the uh, Tim's miniatures, um, the AKs and, uh, stuff are well balanced. I don't think they're too chunky. Um, I think they're durable. Uh, I've dropped a couple, uh, when I was opening the box and nothing got bent. They were perfectly straight and stuff like that. So, but, uh, yeah, they're great miniatures. Um, and I'll be ordering some more here pretty soon, probably on Friday. Um, I'm going to be getting some of this, uh, Spetsnaz. And probably some of the civilians for scenarios for the Ukraine as well, because he's got a civilian line. And I think those miniatures could probably be used for some other areas in the world as well for civilians. But, uh, yeah, I'll be picking those up and I'll, I'll do a review on those as well. But those were really nice miniatures. Quality was excellent. Um, and then going into the, the 
the first modern 28 miniatures I got are from a company in Canada called Full Battle Rattle. And these miniatures are gorgeous. Gorgeous miniatures. How long has uh, the company been around? I, I really I, haven't heard of them. Um, I think maybe a couple years, maybe two. Um, and he's in, uh, he's out of Ontario. And I've talked to Alex. That's the owner of the, the uh, company uh, quite a bit. And uh, his miniatures are beautiful. I, I, I the detail on on the gear is incredible. The helmets, the the um, C sevens and the C uh, C fives and and stuff, which is our M sixteens and M fours, mm-hmm. um, are gorgeous. They they're really nice. And this is where I come into this uh, thing about the barrels. The proportions are awesome. They're right on. But the proportions on a on a M sixteen barrel at twenty eight mil scale can bend and break yeah, pretty easily. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I had a couple break, but they're being replaced right away. He's really good about that. Um, he gives really good customer service. He's been in touch with me uh, fairly constantly, um, and uh, the miniatures paint up really nice, but. The bane of my existence is uh, digital camera, <laughs> trying to get uh, um, CADPAT, which is the Canadian uh, camouflage, and I'm doing the woodland. So, yeah, it's getting the greens and everything right at that scale is kind of challenging. But uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to paint. I've got about four of them done so far. And I have more, more, more of his miniatures on the way to me right now. Actually, awesome. I'll so, have to check those out. That sound really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll be posting um, a video review of all these miniatures um, in the next, probably this month. Um, what I've been doing is taking pictures as I've been doing them and stuff like that. So I'll be posting a, a review of the miniatures and stuff like that for all, both companies. Excellent. So, and the last thing I got was I got a whole platoon of modern Canadians from Elheim uh, out of the UK. And uh, they're really, really nice. And they scale um, perfectly with my, uh, my labs, my lab threes. Uh-huh. And uh, the detail on the, um, on the miniatures right down to the uh, LCAN scopes on, on top of the rifles is excellent and uh the webbing really nice i'm, I'm going to enjoy painting these so but uh yeah like i said i'll be doing videos on all these as uh i get them done so over the next month month and a half and uh, i'll do an in-depth review of the miniatures and how they look and show them off all painted up perfect so make sure, guys, that you uh, check out Chris on Walkabout Games, and I know you'll throw a link up on our Facebook page for the yeah. podcast so we can get everybody to see those. That is awesome. So now it's time for you guys out there for a little homework. So we have been thinking about running a little contest maybe here. Yeah. How about what makes a good scenario? Uh if you have something already in mind that you'd love to play repeatedly, why? What makes it so good? Uh, we'd actually like to see you guys post some scenarios up on the Facebook page. 
and we're going to give you till what, October 1? We'll say yeah. till October 1 to post yeah, your October scenarios. 1. And yeah. then uh, we'll throw those up there with a vote so everybody can vote on their favorite. And then the winner will get a prize. Don't know what the prize will be yet, but we'll find something. We usually It'll be cool. Do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're not going to say much more about that because we don't want to influence anybody. But um, yeah. I want you guys to get out there, start looking at your scenarios. It doesn't have to be tremendously detailed. You know, a good background, um, you know, what rule set you think you would use it with. And, you know, just post it up there on the Facebook page and we will check them out. So, again, we're going to give you to October 1 to do those so something that came up in my mind over the weekend when i was listening to the news i don't know Mm -hmm. if um, many people are aware unfortunately what's going on in nigeria yeah um over the weekend there were several villages that were basically burned to the ground um there's a video of a pastor from a christian village in nigeria that's being attacked by extremists from another religion you know, we're trying to keep religion out of this, but, you know, it does mm-hmm. kind of go hand in hand to what we're talking about. And he was pleading for intervention from anybody and everybody, including the U.S. So what my idea or thought was is do current events translate into gaming? Is it a good idea or is it in bad taste? You know, do you say, OK, this is what's happened in Nigeria. Let's make this a scenario. How do we help these people? And, mm-hmm. and work through it. Or do you say, eh, that's too taboo. I'm not going to get my hands dirty on that one. We're going to just let that lie. Because I can tell you, a few years back when I had brought up the idea of doing this podcast, years, you know, a few years back, I had people saying, ooh, modern miniature wargaming. I don't touch that. You know, it's still going on. It's too close to home and all that. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, I think. Burying your hands, heads in the sand isn't good either. It, no. it is therapy for some people. They can work through some things. Now, some people, it's too traumatic for them, totally understandable. But the nice thing about it, it, it's free choice. So getting back to the idea, what do you think, Chris? Is it a good idea or is it in bad taste? You know, to me, I don't think it's in bad taste if you're respectful about it. If you're going over the top – in being a little too realistic in the what's going on, mm-hmm. I think that's maybe in bad taste. Yeah, but I don't think it's in bad taste if you're running a scenario and you're you're trying to one side's trying to rescue the other side and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's in bad taste. Um, but uh, you know, I I would think you know taking. Making the scenario a little too realistic, maybe it could be considered in bad taste. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why, you know, that just came, brought something to mind is that uh, the guys over at Radio Dish Dash, when they did their, I think it was their next book, they have Deniable Operators, but the book campaign book prior to that is based on fictional Africa. Yeah. Um, I think it's called Africa, but spelled weird. Um, it's spelled with a K. Yeah. So it's basically made up countries within the continent of Africa. So yeah. that was their way of working around the touchy subject of what's going on in Africa was to give you the flavor of the continent, but not identifying with anybody in particular, which yeah. I thought was kind of a genius way of doing it, to be honest with you. I used to play a game like that 
back in the uh, mid '90s called uh, AK-47 Republic. Really? Yeah, and I still have that rule set somewhere. It was made by Peter Pig, and you could make your up your fictional African countries, and even it even had a a dice rolling system on what type of government and all that kind of stuff, and what colors your flags were, and yeah, it was actually quite an interesting rule system. Oh, fantastic! So, there's something for you guys to kick around. Um, definitely, let us know your thoughts on that as well. So. That leads us to our next topic, mm-hmm. translating old games into modern mini-games. So a couple weeks back when we were filming The Weekender and we, we were talking about um, you know, what kind of got us into wargaming or what are our best moments were into wargaming, and I started talking about you know my dad did Napoleonics and Civil War, and we covered our basement in miniatures. And then <laughs> I got into um, D&D, obviously. But then as I got older and I was in the military, we wanted something a little bit more challenging. And one of those things that came up was the good old uh, squad leader and advanced squad leader from Avalon Hill. And I'm like, I wonder, could you take that rule set and make it into a modern miniatures war game? Um, Because, I mean, if you've ever played squad leader or ASL, you know how in-depth that game gets. You know the tables and the rule books and... You know, you spend more time, I think, buried in the rule book than anything. Yeah. So it was, can you... Now, I have seen um, people I've posted. Actually, uh, one of the guys over on Beast of War sent me an email. I think he's from the Netherlands. And they are doing a miniatures version of Squad Leader. Um, awesome. Yeah, he had a whole table. And, you know, obviously it was still set in World War II. But I'm wondering, okay, let's let's advance it 20 years. Let's put it in Vietnam. Can Would it translate? Can we advance it another 20 years and put it in Grenada, Panama, Central America? Would it translate? Because, honestly, we have a shelf full of games, and you probably are the same way, Chris, Yeah. <laughs> that sit there and never get played again, and they're really good games. Yeah. Um, you know, just because they're hex encounter games, it shouldn't mean that they're not played. Now, if you talk to Jim... He, that's all he, you know, he talks about, oh, Hex and Counter Games, got to play Hex and Counter Games, which is fine. I love Hex and Counter Games, don't get me wrong, but um, I think, unfortunately, there's some really good rule set out there that maybe could use an update and a revision to bring them into the modern era, but how do you do it with a game like Squad Leader, because it's so in-depth, it's not like, yeah. you know, you can't translate it to, like, bolt action, so that's, that's my pick, uh, would be Squad Leader, you know, and see if we could change it to a miniatures uh, modern miniature war game how about we you? used to play well just uh we used to play a advanced squad leader on the maps with micro armor yeah yeah all the time you know it was great but um for me um i've been talking to a couple of people and uh, there's a game that came out i think when did that game come out it's a world war ii game and it's called crossfire and it's written by Artie conliffe Hmm. And um, I've been talking to a few people, and a couple people have already tried using it for modern games. Um, one guy used it for Somalia, for Mogadishu, and it seemed to work. He did it uh, for Salute one year, apparently. Oh, nice. Um, and the the thing about this rule system, it doesn't use tape measures. 
you don't you don't you move until you, you somebody reacts to you. Really. So you, you move your your units, and and if no one's reacting, you just keep moving if you want, or you can just stop. Um, it, it's a really interesting mechanics in the game, and I think it came out in the mid '90s, I think, and uh, and I've got a copy of it, and uh, and I'm gonna try seeing if it works. I'm gonna try it with 20 mil and see how it goes, um, and uh, I th- it's a fairly old system, but uh, I think it might translate well to modern actually. So I'm gonna give it a go. So how did you measure out ranges and distance? Uh, basically, it took into account, like, you know, how we were talking about with Jim, you know, ranges, you know, on the battlefield, a rifle, it can shoot out 800,000 yards, right? Yeah. So they they took and said, well, this rifle can shoot these distances. And if there's stuff in the way, well, obviously it can't shoot past that, right? Sure. If somebody, you know, it takes into account your terrain that's on the board, your line of sights. Um, it assumes that the board size is fairly small. Um, you know, like a four by six table would be a decent size table. Um, you know, your modern anti-tank guns, they have ranges that are incredible. And so to have a 28 mil tank that only just to give an example has a range of 32 inches or something like that seems a little unrealistic mm-hmm. and not but in this game it wouldn't matter because yeah. there's you don't have ranges like that so um i'm gonna give it a go and see how it is and i'm gonna try it in 20 mil and uh we'll see how it works out and uh, I'll, I'll let everybody know fantastic and yeah by the sounds of it, there's been a few people that have tried it with Vietnam and uh, Mogadishu for Somalia. I haven't heard about any other games, but uh, um, I'm going to try it out and see if it works. Fantastic. So, uh, an idea we're kicking around is doing a live show. Uh, I know we're still young into the podcast, and we're still trying to build the audience, but... Um, you know, it does take a little bit of coordination and everything mm-hmm. to do a live show. So we're thinking, uh, would that, one, be a good idea? Would you guys be interested in seeing or hearing a live show? Would you guys participate in a live show, you know, if we had it opened up for comments and everything? Um, on top of that, when is a good day and time? Obviously, we're yeah. worldwide. Chris is two hours behind me. We have other people that are in front of us, so you know we want to make sure it's a it's a time that works for everybody to the best. Um, you know, so let us know what you think. It's always an interesting thing. Live shows seem to be pretty popular these days, and everybody likes to participate. So we're kicking around the idea as well. Yeah, live shows are a lot of fun. Yeah. So other than that, we also are asking you guys to. It makes submissions on what you'd like to hear or see from this podcast. Sometimes it gets really hard to come up with material if it's a slow <laughs> week, you know. So we want to keep the podcast going and we want to make sure it's good quality and that you're enjoying what you're hearing and it's thought-provoking and it, it you know, helps relate. There I go, saying you know. All of a sudden I get on the microphone and all of a sudden I say you know all day. I never say <laughs> it in my real life. But um, 
we want to hear from you. We want ideas from you. If there's companies, miniatures, games, please reach out to us. And you can find us at Facebook at SitRep Podcast. Submit there. Send us a message. Our email address is sitrep.podcast at gmail.com. And we will get back to you. We want to hear from you guys. We want to build the audience. We want to really expand this genre of miniature wargaming. There's so much to it, and we want to make yeah. sure that we include as many people as possible. So we're just about coming to the end of our show. Chris, any last thoughts? I have a question for you. Okay. Okay, when you were at uh, Gen Con, did you see some trucks? Uh, would that be from the MBA people? Mentioned yeah. Authority? Yes, I did. Yeah, were yeah. they nice? They were really nice. Uh, <laughs> I think that's his next Kickstarter. It's coming out, is it this month? I think it's this month. I'll have oh. to reach out to Kirk. Because uh, Kirk okay. and I have some other things we need to talk about. There's this uh, rule set that um, we may be working on and producing. Oh. So um, okay. So we're, we definitely have to look at Yeah, but the trucks are nice to answer your question. They're, okay. they're really nice. Um, they're the Hemets. An For anybody who has not seen that video, they're the Hemets. Um, so they look really good. Uh, he does really good quality work. If you've not checked out uh, Miniature Building Authority, I highly suggest you I check love their out. buildings. Uh, love their buildings. Unfortunately, I don't have the bank account to buy everything yeah. I would want to. Uh, it, you know, with high quality, it's a little bit more on the pricier side, but it's well worth the the cost. You know, I don't yeah. want to make it seem like he's out of price range of most people. It's just that uh, you have to shop smart, and anything you buy from them is brilliant. They, they yeah. make every table look amazing. I got to play. Uh, I was at Simon Expo, not this year, but the year before, covering Simon Expo. And he was there because they invited a couple of the smaller local companies because he's out of Georgia. And he was there with some of his terrain. And it was towards the end of one day, and it was really slow. And he goes, hey, do you want to try this game? And we played a game, and I played the Americans. And my job, it was it was kind of like a African city somewhere. And you were going to pick up a terrorist mm-hmm. and at the police station. So I had to go down basically Death Alley. You know, uh, we did uh, unmounted patrols. We had like um, – almost like an MRAP providing cover with a 50 and it was really good. It was an easy playing game. So good quality stuff. They do. I actually have some of his minis too. He does minis as, as well. I got some huh. modern us guys from him. So good quality stuff. I highly recommend it. That's miniature building authority. So yeah, I think that those Hemets are part of a next, his next Kickstarter. I think it's comes this month. I'll have to keep an eye out. So I'll reach out to Kirk and uh, maybe we get him on the show at some point too. That'd be good. Uh, He's got a lot to talk about too. So I'm telling you, it really elevates the game when you have a pretty table to play on. Oh yeah. I have a lot of uh, buildings that are in a Spanish kind of type line. Uh huh. I use them for Spain and Portugal for my, uh, Napoleonic games. Nice. So, and yeah. they work well with uh, Blood and Plunder is another one too. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. Well, guys, okay. uh, I think that's going to do us for this episode. Chris, thank you as always. Thanks, G. And to everybody out there, we're going to RTB. We're returning to base, and we'll check you out on the next episode of Sit Rep. Goodbye, guys.